0: The funny thing about bipolar disorder and other mental illnesses is that by stigmatizing the ill, we're throwing away a treasure trove of useful insights into treatment of the illness. This is my conversation with Rabbi Alfredo Borodowski. What if the truth came in a gel cap and we could just pop it in our mouths and forget about it? Well, it doesn't. And we can't. But we can laugh in the face of reality while plotting our survival. Welcome to the Truth Tastes Funny Podcast. I am your host, Bersh And if my guests can handle the truth, so can you. Open wide, folks. Here it comes. My guest today is Rabbi Alfredo Borodowski. He's known in some circles as the bipolar rabbi. He has quite a story to tell about how he turned his bipolar disorder and a lot of the accompanying difficulties into uh, what he describes as positive psychology. Welcome, Rabbi, to the show. Hi, course. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thank you. So when you talk about positive psychology, that gives us a really good, uh, a good sense of where the story goes. But why don't you tell us where your difficulties and your struggles with bipolar disorder began? You know, know, of course, some people can
1: actually tell you the exact moment when their life basically changed 180 degrees. That was my case on June 2013, actually June 19th, approximately at 10 in the morning in the town of Mamarone. I was handcuffed thrown into a patrol car and arrested. For the prior two months, I, I had I've been driving around New York highways and stopping people, actually not stopping, telling them how to drive, directing traffic. If somebody was texting, I would say stop texting. And what happened is that a congregant of mine, had, a retired policeman, had given me as a present a kind of replica of his shield, you know for friends and families. Then I was manic at the point, gray mania. I wasn't diagnosed at that point. I went to a psychiatrist, I lied to the psychiatrist I told him that was depressed. I was given an antidepressant. Then I was manic, taking the wrong medication and with a police shield. And all that came together into two months of telling people how to drive. Doesn't matter if I didn't buy a uniform, doesn't matter if I didn't touch anybody, doesn't matter if I didn't stop anybody. The fact is that under the law, I impersonated a police officer. Yeah. Okay. And then I was arrested. I was arrested in four different counties. The, I was hospitalized. I was diagnosed bipolar. I was fired from my job two weeks later, and I became, on the press, the road rage rabbi. And the press, press, given that I was a rabbi, had a circus out of it. I was on the front page of newspapers in Ireland and Japan as the road rage rabbi. Then my life, of course, I mean, in 20 days. Basically, I became a different person and a terrible personality. And I had to deal with eight months of depression and eight months of going through the courts. The head of the police union in Westchester, where I lived, was very clear that they were going to make an exemplar of me. Then I had basically all the police union trying to make an exemplar. It was a disaster that ended up in a blessing. As I will, I will share with your audience, you know, a little bit of, of a cliffhanger. But it was a disaster. I mean, my life was thrown into chaos, uh, in two, in, basically in 20 days.
0: So in, so in many ways, it was the media spin that made the, a combination of the media spin, calling you the road rage rabbi, which it wasn't a road rage incident while it was manic. It was not a road. It doesn't sound like it was road rage. It didn't have anything to do with your being a rabbi. And furthermore, the police had decided they were going to make an example out of you. What was, tell me a little bit about your position before this, before that day. You were living in Mameranek. In oh, I was a rabbi of a congregation.
1: And actually, I must say that the congregation stood by me. Congregation Sulam Yaakov, the congregation I founded. With a wonderful group of people, they know me. They know that that wasn't Alfredo. That wasn't the rabbi Alfredo. They knew. They gave me the benefit of the doubt, and they kept me as a rabbi. And I tell you, they saved my life. Wow! They saved my life. The love of community, the embracing of community, the trust of community, the forgiveness also, because they because I had done something wrong. Okay, I don't make I don't make excuses. I violated the law. I did wrong. It's inexcusable. It can be explained because I was manic and wrongly medicated. But by the same token, I must take responsibility for my actions. And my community embraced me. I continued being the rabbi until recently, when the congregation decided to dissolve. Uh, Then they they kept me going with my family. You know, I was the executive director of a very prestigious adult education program, which I will not mention because I think that to be fired under those circumstances doesn't shed much, much light on that institution, and I, and I decided myself not to, not to bring dirt and not to capitalize by shaming the behavior of an institution, but I was fired because of the press, you know, I was not given the benefit of the doubt, I was not given time to explain myself. That's fine, I dealt with it. It was terrible, by the way, when I was fired, a week later I was hospitalized again. That firing actually triggered panic and darkness in me, like I was useless. You know, a footnote in in the world that I was not wanted anymore by anybody, that my life has finished and ended. And, and I was hospitalized a second time. Then I had big losses, but I have big love. And, and that's what you're going to find, by the way, in situation like this, Hirsch. You're going to find a mixture, okay? And you have to persevere, because there is love and
0: there is darkness. And you have to be hopeful. Yeah. So when you first were medicated, when you first went to the doctor and you said it was depression... Were you aware that it was something else or you just did it? you hadn't been diagnosed yet properly?
1: I didn't know I was bipolar. That happened after the arrest when I was hospitalized. Unfortunately, I learned about my condition through a crisis, Mm -hmm. which happens many times. People go undiagnosed for, for a long period until they crash. And I would say to those who are listening that... Try to prevent getting to a diagnosis through a crisis. If your friends and family tell you go to a psychiatrist and that something is wrong, that something is off, to the best of your abilities, listen. Because I tell you, mania, one of the things that mania does to to you, it gives you a sense of invisibility, invincibility, or grandeur. Okay. Yes. You yeah. have en- you have endless energy. You can conquer the world. Then uh, you know after the, the the psychiatrist gave me the antidepressant and I went back, he said to me, "Alfredo, I don't like the way you're reacting to it. Something is wrong with you." He he saw it, of course. Mm-hmm. But you know what they did? You know what they did? I never went back because he ah. said this guy is going to, this guy is going to take away my mania. I want my mania, I, I want the creativity, I want the power, I want the endless energy. And I didn't go back, and he called me numerous times, Alfredo, come back, what's happening cl- to you? I never went back, because I suspected that he was going to take away the medication, he was uh, going to take okay. my gift, the gift of mania. Then I disappear. You know, mania is seductive, okay? It's yeah. addictive. I slept four hours. I was writing three books at the same time. I I, yeah. I I have endless energy, okay?
0: Then I didn't want to give that away. Right, so you felt you went from feeling not right to feeling empowered and invincible. And then you had this this yeah. incident, you know, it was a roller coaster, a roller coaster. I had moments
1: of mania and moments of depression, basically bipolar, you know, that we usually go from one mood state to another mood state, usually the opposite. Right. Then then I wasn't a roller, roller coaster. I was, you know, in general my my bipolar is more towards the mania than the depression. And then I had moments of depression, but I have mania is my usual state. I was depressed after I was arrested because I lost my job, I lost my name, I was in court cases, you know, running from court to court. Then, you know, I think anybody would be depressed on a situation like that. Sure. In my case was, you know, the depression that came from the outside and depression I had inside from my bipolar, it came together as a perfect storm. But you know, after so, after, since 2013, I have already learned the pattern of my mania. There are months of the year, of course, where I have more mania than other months. For example, May, June, July are my prime time for 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 manic. When the sun mm-hmm. comes up and, you know, and there's the summer and the flowers and the long days and the energy and the jogging and the, you know... That's when my mania, uh, you know, you know, comes with full force. Then I, then, then one thing I tell people, I tell people with bipolar is keep a diary. Keep a diary. Yeah. the States. Uh, and I tell you, not everybody, but I think that many will find a pattern. And once you find a pattern, you can create all the safeguards that will protect you from it.
0: Yeah. The pattern is interesting because you would think that, with better weather, would come a uplift. But I guess mania is a form of uplift in a way. You
1: know, it's a it's, it's a mood disorder. It got to do with mood regulation. There are people who have rapid bipolar changes that go from mood to another to another mood in very very short cycles. Then they may be upbeat and 10 minutes later it's depre- sad, and depressed, okay, then, then you know, that's rapid bipolar, in my case it's not rapid, okay, I, I have long periods of mania, and then I have short periods of, of depression, is for me cyclical, as I mentioned, I know, you know, during the, the winter, when you have darkness, and the days are short, and it's very cold, I have a couple of weeks of Adaptation to the winter. Many people suffer from that, by
0: the way. Yes, yeah. The
1: the winter blues. I have that. It has to, with, with, in in many ways, with my bipolar. Then I go into some kind of depressive state for for a few weeks. But I know it already. Then I can prepare myself. As I mentioned, you know, you cannot avoid it, but you can basically reduce its effects. During the summer, I was arrested during the summer. Remember, I impersonated this officer and and was arrested in June. I know what May comes. I get a burst of energy, tremendous burst of energy. It's not just being energetic like other people get energized in the summer. This is more. During many, I tell you, you sleep a few hours, you have endless energy, you can conquer the world. Nobody is stronger than you. In my case, also comes with lack of judgment. Okay, my, my judgment is reduced. Okay, then you have here lack of judgment and grandeur That's a bad combination. To feel yeah. that you have you are invincible, invincible, and at the same time you have endless energy, then you know that's that, that that's a dangerous. But you, you know, people who are mentally ill are, are usually not dangerous to others. That's a myth. You know who is the first victim of mentally ill? The person himself or herself. Yeah. The first victim of mental illness is the person who has a mental illness Uh, by, you know, by spending all their money, by losing their job, by ruining relationships, okay? Then, then we are we are our worst enemies, okay? Mental illness is not the problem of humanity, okay? We are not all loose cannons that go around the world shooting people, okay? We are not, okay, and we should be, society should stop making us a scapegoat. Yeah. Okay, for, for their own Ill, Ill, illness, ailments, uh, okay? Then we are the first victims, okay? There is more, the suicide... Okay, among people with bipolar, it's exponentially more frequent than people who are not. It's very important that the person with bipolar, any mental illness, has a support group, okay, caregivers, professional support, goes to the gym, eats well, takes medication, small things, but when you put them together as a symphony of wellness, it begins really...
0: Organizing your life and protecting you. So, is this something that? How did you? How did you come to control it, understand it, start to treat it? What was the? What What happened following the legal? All of the legal issues and the media issues. How did those resolve? Well, yeah, I I began going to a psychiatrist.
1: Diligently, I began taking my medications. I began going weekly to a therapist. For me, exercising is vital. Then I go frequently to the gym. You mentioned positive psychology. You know, positive psychology is a psychology it was basically founded 20 years ago by Martin Seligman, who was the head of the Association of you know of American psychology, and it's a kind of psychology that instead of dwelling and focusing on trauma is the psychology that studies what are the strengths you have okay okay that every person has strengths and relies upon what is flourishing what is strength what is working psychology has been focusing on what's wrong and he said wait a minute there is all a full aspect of the human being that is what is working what is the potential of the person they brought sociologists anthropologists you know, philosophers to, to work together to find the strength of people. And they came up with 24, 24 strengths that are found in most cultures across time and geography. And I took a VIA, which is the Values in Action, which is an instrument that maps your strength. Okay, and anybody can go to the VIA website, VIA, I think it's, you know, viainstitute.org or .com, and take the VIA so uh, instrument free free your charge. okay i will give you we yeah. will give you 24 strength and my f- my first five which are the the main ones are creativity curiosity love of learning perseverance and bravery then i was depressed on a couch i went to my desk and i would look at my files and i saw my dear results that i had taken a few years earlier and I look at my five results and I said, oh, my God, those are my friends. I, I have forgotten my strengths. And immediately, what should I do with it? And I enrolled myself on social work school. And I went back to school. Duh. Okay. And, you know, I was over 50. I was manic. I was depressed. But I, I, I went back to school. And, 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 I, and I fought against, you know, that, that brought life to me and purpose to me. And I wanted to be like the social workers who had helped me so much. Yeah. They were instrumental in my recovery when I was in the hospital, you know, when I needed advice. And I said, I want to be like them. And of course, I went back to school. And through positive psychology, which is what I do now when I do coaching, all my coaching today, that what I do with people, all my coaching is based on the strength of people Two-thirds of
0: people, studies show that two-thirds of people do not know their own strengths. That makes sense because I think it takes a long time for us to process whether it's judgment or external, you know, criticism, regulation, whatever it might be. And we don't, we, we get, we, we are very quick to realize we're wrong or damaged or bad, but we're not as quick to recognize the, the positive. One of
1: the top psychologists like Barbara Fredrickson who studied specifically negativity and Robert Emmons who studied gratitude, they both discovered that for each negativity you need three positivities to equalize. Okay. The negative is three times as powerful as the positive. Then for each negativity you need three gratitudes to equalize. You want to flourish, you need for each negativity, between four and five positivities. Then we need to understand that to be grateful and to be flourishing in life demands work. It's not the natural way we are, because since we were in the prehistoric times and people went out of the cave to hunt, the chances of hunting anybody. We're less than being hunted by an animal. <laughs> yeah. Then, then we developed a defense mechanism by which by, by we which were always defensive, we were always under attack, and we're only in a protective state rather than, than expecting the best. And we're mm-hmm. wired that way. We are wired to expect the worst. And we had to work hard to move into the positive. Positive psychology is the brand, the branch of psychology that helps you overcome that negativity and move into your strengths.
0: Now, as far as um, mania goes, there there was a, a book that I that I read, um, the Hypermanic Edge, it's called, and essentially the notion is that a lot of the people who achieve great things have manic personalities and suffer from mania in some way. And that's what gives them the confidence to go against the grain, to tread, you know, to 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 break new ground. But at the same time, typically they will reach a point where they're unreasonable, where they're grandiose, where their thinking and judgment is compromised. And that's what they have to watch out for because... They will stop listening to anyone, even their own better judgment. But because our natures are, as you described, we're predisposed to fear negativity and worse outcomes, it takes somebody like that to break through certain things and accomplish. So how do we find the balance between confidence and positivity and mania and self-destruction? Well, you can drive a car at 100 or
1: 200 miles an hour and get faster than anybody else, but likely you're going to crash. Yeah. Then you ask, you have to ask the question of what is better, a regular, disciplined, controlled environment or a highly creative environment where likely you're going to end up suffering. Then when I work people with men... And by the way, the, the issue of creativity and mental and mental illness is not on everybody. Then it, the balance the balance sheet of, of, of this is negative. There are more people who likes a ruin, or is a challenge, not ruin, but is a tremendous challenge out of mental illness, than they became geniuses and create electric cars. <laughs> okay, then, then, then I yeah. don't want to take the few geniuses who are bipolar or mentally ill as the paradigm of all of, of the life of people with mental illness. Because that's not the case. The life of mental illness is not the life in general of advantage. It's a it's a life of challenge. Now, what I can tell you is that people with mental illness know about resilience, about hope, about darkness, about perseverance, about courage, about wholeness, acceptance, more than the average person. What happened is that we have not created the channels by which people with mental illness have articulated the wisdom to the world. That the wisdom of mental illness is not in the atypical kind of genius, but the wisdom of mental illness is on the Usual experiences of people with mental illness. Because I've been hospitalized five times. You know, thankfully for short durations. One week, ten days. I call it my tune-up. In the same way that you bring a car to the garage. Yeah.
0: Changing
1: changing oil. Okay? You know, I get my tune-ups. But you know how much I have to say about freedom? About compassion? About taking care of each other? That happens in the within the four walls of a psychiatric world. Why there is there are not books about the lesson on wisdom of the psychiatric world, which I know about, that is a bestseller. Can you imagine if we would bring people who have been in psychiatric world and tell and, and allow them and create an environment and channel by which they share the stories with the world? The amount of wisdom that is being wasted, because people with mental illness have been sold. The idea that they are defective and they have nothing to say. And in my view, the, we are sitting on endless wisdom. Not wisdom that is because we are geniuses, wisdom because we have gone through experiences that have demanded from us to go to places where other people don't. And I am, that's that, by the way, my next book is called The Wisdom of Mental Illness Finding Strength in Your Struggles. And it's 14 chapters. One chapter is shame, another is self-esteem, acceptance, wholeness, prayer, diagnosis. And each chapter, Hirsch, has three links. And the reader clicks the link and is sent to a website, dedicated website, where the reader writes his own or her own experiences. Then, I am not writing the book. We are writing the book. And the intention of the book is to create a community of wisdom of people with mental illness. And then I will collect all that material. And I will now, then we are going to publish it on the next book, which is more important than my book. My book is a vehicle. The next book is the wisdom of mental illness. To be shared with the world. And then transition from
0: victimhood to being agents of our own destiny. That's a beautiful concept. I was going to ask you what the mechanism is for getting the stories out. Obviously, we're we're in an age where I talk about this all the time on the show, mental health having to be normalized. That's one of the reasons I want to talk to more and more people who go through it. It's, we're all struggling at one point or another. We all struggle with something. On the one hand, people who fail in a, a business venture can look at it and say I learned something here's what I learned and someone might offer them some respect and some dignity as a result with mental illness it's exactly as you described there's a sense of defectiveness of imperfection which is which is some kind of crime compassion is one side it's from a selfish point of view as a, as human beings to be able to learn something from someone who went through a difficult experience. Let's talk a little bit about the root causes, whatever we know of bipolar disorder. Look, we are in the infancy
1: of learning how the brain works. I think that hundred years from now we're going to look back and say wow, we really didn't know we knew so, so little. Clearly there is neuroscience and genetics and we are making tremendous tremendous headways on these issues but we are very early you know how, how do you you know you go to you are hospitalized and this is what you see people are given a new drug and the drug takes like three four days to begin working and then the psychiatrist asks the person is it working
0: <laughs> right
1: okay and oh it's not working okay let's try more let's try less let's try this other drug we are still in the trial and error basically there is nothing here in which we can determine what is the exact drug and the exact amount for this particular person. Imagine you will go to your doctor for heart disease and they tell you, okay, you know, there are these 50 different pills I can give you. For the next three months, I'm going to be giving you 20 of them. Let's see which one works. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, it may really have terrible side effects. You will, but, but you know, I don't, don't take me wrong. I take medication every day, and the medication has been instrumental in my well-being, and without it, I would be in really terrible shape, but it took time. It took time, it took trial and error, I had shifted many medications, but I didn't give up. Then what I will tell people listening, I feel that medication is good, it has been good for me, but you have to have patience. We are now in, in you know our knowledge now does not allow for you know knowing exactly which drug may, you may need at the beginning trust your psychiatrist trust yourself It's a process okay then we are early of course, we are early in the process of knowing how the brain works but I am hopeful hopeful I see the advances let me also say something you know referring to to something you said before I am in the business of mental health. What do I mean by the business? I am not doing my work because I want compassion from others. And I'm not doing my work because I want empathy from others. I want the mentally ill to package the knowledge and sell it to the world. I want the mentally ill to be entrepreneurial. I don't see why a corporation has to hire somebody who climbed the Himalayas And pay $20,000 to give a talk on motivational, motivation, and not to hire somebody who is schizophrenic and has made himself CEO of a company or opened his own business. Okay? Or what happened that we with mental illness has not yet bought into our own strength? We are looking at ourselves like second-class citizens. We have to shift a paradigm about how we see ourselves. And that our knowledge and experience is marketable and valuable. And by the way, once we market our experience and knowledge, I believe the stigma is going to be reduced. Stigma is not yeah. going to diminish. Stigma is not going to diminish because we beg compassion. Stigma is going to diminish because we bring to the world our added value and contribution, and because we take our place as players around the table of proactive wisdom, then I am not begging for anything. I am not not knocking the doors of politicians. I let that be done by great foundations who do that. I am on the business, and I use the word business purposely, of packaging the knowledge of the
0: mentally ill to advance their life in the market of ideas. Excellent. Because it's what I envision is that it's about commanding respect it's not asking for consideration or asking for understanding it's commanding respect you say it's it's like anyone who achieves something that is respected empirically by extension gets that respect oh well now they real now people realize that they have something to offer now people realize they're they're intelligent you know how long ago was the was your Was the incident, what we would call the the pivotal incident, how many years ago? By the the way, let me tell you that my
1: website, on the top of the website, the first thing you read is From Stigma to Dignity. Ah, okay. Okay, From Stigma to Dignity. Well, I was arrested on June 19,
0: 2013. Okay. So, you know, almost a decade ago. And so... Now what is your typical engagement? What are you what are you doing now on a on a day-to-day basis? You're working on the book? You know, clearly I have dedicated my life to the work of
1: mental illness and and fostering the wisdom. The wisdom of mental illness. I do believe that there is a particular wisdom we have through our experience, which is very unique. Okay? Who knows better than us what is to feel alienated from the human condition who knows better than us what is to feel that you're losing yourself and you rescue yourself and Mm -hmm. the sense of what is self what what is self who knows better than us who were in mental institutions the fear of uncertainty and can write Better than us about uncertainty. And how to deal with uncertainty. Who knows better than us? Resilience. And perseverance. And I don't believe that yes. All that knowledge has been translated. Through stories. Through narratives. Through quotes. Spiritual wisdom. Then what I do is. I go around the world. Where they let me. And I talk. I give. I think speeches talks lessons about creating a community of mental health wisdom i have seminars i publish a, a weekly newsletter then then i write very you know like give an example my last newsletter my last new newsletter was about was called a prayer for depression where i explain how prayer can help somebody during depression. The newsletter a week ago was about self-sabotaging. I have sometimes blogs on positive psychology and how we can help you. I have lessons we learn on the psychiatric world. Then I publish a blog every week, a newsletter, very well read. I, I am so grateful that I am in touch with so many people. Many of those people contact me individually for advice. I serve at many think tanks, where we are working together uh, with interfaith, faith communities, to bring awareness about mental illness and mental health to communities, then I keep myself busy uh, and I do many things. I have I am active in social media. I have my Facebook. I have my Instagram. I have been linking, content in publishing, quality quality. I try to, to publish quality. I, I'm, not, I'm not buying into fame and social media and you like my picture. I right. you like your picture. No, I, I sit down and write blogs. I, I, Everything I do is based on science and evidence. I constantly read the latest research. Uh, I spend many hours studying what's going on and the, the latest developments. And I try to bridge the gap between the spiritual and the scientific.
0: So for... Yeah. For, on, that, on that front, how has your background as a rabbi, your studies in religion, and your and liturgical sources, how has all of that kind of melded and shaped your, your current work? Well, I am an ordained rabbi. I have 30 years
1: of congregational work, 30 years of being a spiritual leader on the trenches of faith. I have also a PhD in philosophy, then I am well versed in different philosophical traditions and spirituality, and I have a certification on personality type and positive psychology. Then I bring that eclectic background, then the questions I ask, they are not questions about, you look at, at the chapter of my book, acceptance, wholeness, shame normal abnormal diagnosis prayer these are all building blocks of what they call the existential dilemmas of the mental illness condition then then i look at the totality of the person i work with the person as a totality with their strengths you know i i i, I am not into diagnosis so much i'm more into the existential questions of the person like. in, and, and always, the, the, the guiding principle for me, the questions I ask the person when I work with them, what are the strengths that you have learned from the experience? How can you use those strengths to leverage your life? And what wisdom have you acquired from your pain or from your happiness? But, you know, no, no experience with mental illness should go without the exercise of taking wisdom out of it. Then that's that's my approach. And, you know, I'm a rabbi, but I am working here as a spiritual leader. You know, I am not working for the Jewish people. As if I put a rabbi, I went, I, I left the synagogue into the world in general, okay? I don't work with ideology, with doctrine, with dogma. I, I work at the spiritual level, trying to bring my wisdom to everybody anybody because we are united in mental illness beyond particular religions. The learning is a learning that belongs to everybody who goes through the experience.
0: I was raised in a a modern Orthodox Jewish background where religion played a very, very central role in education. And at some point you, you have to, I feel, you have to separate that stuff from what it means to be human. Everything I do is rooted in who I am,
1: okay? And Judaism is, a, is an important part of me, and especially Judaism, which is a religion that doesn't believe that we are sinful by nature, okay, as you know, okay, yeah. we, we wake up every day, and the first blessing we say is thank you God for having restored within me a pure soul. Then we don't believe that we were born in sin, we have a very positive view of the world. We believe that life is, that we have an opportunity. We begin every day in purity. Okay, then it's a super optimistic religion. It's a religion that is in many ways about action. Okay, mitzvot, doing things, being active. I think that that's very good for mental illness. To move from negative thought into activity. Okay, then Judaism has a tremendous, I mean... The great sage Hillel, one of the greatest sages of Judaism, says, you know, do not remove yourself from community. Okay, then the communal, the communal is essential to Judaism. And every study, I have read so many studies by scientists from the Royal Academy of Psychiatry, for example, in Britain, in which community is essential for the well-being of a person. Because people who have mental illness are isolated. And they suffer tremendously yeah. of loneliness. Then community is essential. Then yes, I am a universalist in terms of the work with anybody, but also I bring a message of Judaism positive views. Then then I keep a balance. I keep a balance. Judaism, for example, in general doesn't believe that suffering redeems you. Right. That's not a Jewish mainstream position that we welcome suffering in order to learn and be redeemed. No. We say, the hell with suffering. We don't want suffering. <laughs> now, right. Now, the, the, now, if we suffer, because everybody will suffer, okay, let's make lemonade out of it. But the making the, the making of the lemonade is a byproduct of the suffering that we cannot avoid. We don't seek suffering. And we don't right. see. We don't see a value in itself, okay? Then, yes, then I do have some, I do have a Jewish background that I bring to the table, but I, I, But it's never judgmental. I try to be eclectic, to be universalist, but yes, I, w- I I. will tell somebody I'm working with, let's dwell on the strengths you have. Suffering, I, I acknowledge your suffering, okay? I acknowledge your suffering, let's make strength out of it, but I'm not going now to make suffering as a virtue,
0: because that's not who I am. Right. So now, for for our audience maybe out there, as we look at certain things that happen in the world, is there a piece of advice that you can share to maintain a positive psychology toward toward the world? Well, f- first of all, first of all, I would say
1: that the the main work you must do is the work of the self. The journey begins with perfecting the self, to being being honest with the self. Okay, And you cannot maximize your effect in the world, your positive effect, without knowing your strengths. Once you find your strengths, you immediately become goal-oriented. And the discussion shifts from passivity into agency. Okay, then when I teach a seminar, you always end the seminar with goals and strategies. It's not theoretical. Okay, it's, we're going to have a direct effect in your life. Then I do different things. All of them are aimed towards finding wisdom in your journey. Then I am not, and this is very interesting, I am not on the business of, of macro, you are not going to see me working on changing big things I am, you know there are people who are experts on that I am my, my job is more to help individuals to find a way I am not an activist of big big endeavors I am I am I, my interest is your life as many lives as possible uh, and if I can change one life, two lives, that, that's for me that's for me, okay. Because those lives we are going to transform and teach them strength. They are going to go and transform the world.
0: Yeah. And the that's effect the way, is... That, a, that, that, that's my commitment. It's a chain reaction that you set into place. A healthy individual as well, or a healthier individual, their relationships become healthier, their children, their grandchildren, everyone's future becomes more positive. So even... The, a one, a single individual that you help has a, a bigger impact than we really know. We don't right. really know. Exactly. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Rabbi Borodowski. Uh, where were you? Where Where are you from originally? By the way, where did you? Where were you born? I am from Buenos
1: Aires, Buenos Aires, Argentina. Ah. Yes, uh, I grew up there until the age of twenty. Then I moved here to the States. I've been here for—I will not tell you how many years, because, <laughs> but many, many decades. I am an American citizen. I became American. Uh, I am married to my wife, Shira, who is also a rabbi. Uh, we met in Jerusalem. Uh, oh, romantic lovely place, actually. Uh, then uh, but you know i am very active by the way in in the in in this uh, spanish-speaking context for example every tuesday i teach a class on positive psychology and ancient jewish wisdom Mm -hmm. to 30 students from spain to ecuador to colombia brazil argentina chile in spanish Uh, and i am going now in october for the full month to argentina to teach positive psychology and rabbinic leadership to over hundred rabbis in South America to make sure that positive psychology is included in, in, in religious communities
0: that's wonderful well see your impact is uh, is more broad and more profound than you may even appreciate so uh, thank you so much for coming on this has been an honor and certainly uh, a- then I want to, everybody listening be strong you have strengths okay Sometimes you don't know it.
1: But just 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 to finish, a study shows that by knowing your strength, not by using them, by knowing your strength, you are nine times
0: more prone to succeed. Thanks so much for tuning into Truth Tastes Funny. If you enjoyed the experience, please leave a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends.